0: Top Boardroom Secrets for Better Cybersecurity. Brought to you by Leaders Nest. Thank you, everybody. I'd like to uh, welcome you here. My name is Jim Olson, and I am the Regional Vice President for Data Centers for Iron Mountain. Um, conceptually, a data center is a hub of information in the technology world. What we're doing today is using that data center for another purpose, which we like to do in our data centers, which is pull people in physically, to be a hub of discussion. And that's what we're going to be doing today. I'd like to welcome this distinguished group to our data center. So thank you for your time uh, and your participation. So with that, uh, I'd like to turn the uh, program over to our moderator for today, who is Terrence
1: Mills. Terrence? Thank you. So good morning, everybody. It's, it is still morning. Uh, I am the CEO of Moonshot. North America, as well as AI.io. We're a global business, and I'm here today at Iron Mountain Data Centers in Manassas with everyone here in Virginia for an editorial roundtable uh, with, I think, about 14 of us of CEO, CTOs, and CIO executives. Uh, the topic of today's roundtable is the technology trends that are affecting the boardroom uh, because they are changing the nature of work and everything that we do and think about on a daily basis. I hope that this discussion will shed some light on how emerging technology trends that C-level executives should be considering during high-level conversations about strategic business objectives today. In today's world, one of the biggest problems in companies around is that their inability to embrace the speed at which new technology is coming at them. For instance, AI has taken the world by storm. We seem to be in the middle of it right now driven both by uh, really the fear of losing out, losing competitive advantage, that companies across just about every industry in every economy around the world have announced AI-focused initiatives, as we all know. But do they understand the technology is the real question? Is the talent pool even out there? And the investment, never mind tying AI to business objectives, are they able to do any of this? IT security, seems to suffer a lot of the same plight. There's very little experience in corporations when dealing uh, with top priority topics such as executive level threat intelligence, integrated security platforms, business risk, and changing security perimeters. The systems have grown to be extraordinarily complex. With this complexity, companies have become more vulnerable to nation states, that are trying to exploit these weaknesses to cause both economic and political damage. Additionally, companies must defend against hackers who are open to selling these exploits to bad actors, as we all know. they at, uh, we are, excuse me, we are asking our panelists and everyone here to speak about their organizations, their roles and their experiences, and why it's important for organizations to build greater knowledge about these types of technologies as well as AI, uh, and also cybersecurity and its many related technologies. How we train the workforce to change for change that is quickly upon us. Uh, and how we create credible cybersecurity plans to face the very real threats of cybercrime and also prioritize the agenda when matched with overall corporate agenda and fiscal constraints. So with that, let's get started. And we have some very interesting questions that I think will start this roundtable this morning for everyone. So as we think about these boardroom topics uh, that I just announced that include cloud computing, data centers, cybersecurity, disaster recovery, AI, AI systems, uh, really, What is a boardroom topic for this stuff? How do people begin discussing this stuff in the boardroom, at the boardroom level? And specifically, what trends is everyone here talking about when they start these discussions? Because they seem to be pretty broad. And it's not just one discussion. It seems to be disparate discussions, but it
2: all seems to be related.
1: So Bob. Well, get started.
2: Good introduction to a great set of topics. I'm Bob Gorley with Crucial Point. We publish the CTO Vision newsletter. Um, And we also have been very active in the community in doing assessments. Over the last three years, over 40 assessments on major corporations across multiple sectors of the economy. And common themes we're hearing from the board uh, resonate with everything you just discussed. Um, In most companies, the average company, their job is not cybersecurity. Their job is to innovate, to dominate in the marketplace, whether you're creating um, a new uh, drug to cure cancer or you're uh, trying to uh, beat competitors into space. Uh, your job is innovation, not cybersecurity. And a, a, at a board level, the topic usually comes to what's the right amount of investment to make on cybersecurity and how do we implement it in a way that does not stifle innovation. Um, and the short answer that we end up giving usually is you tighten up so you can accelerate your innovation. Uh, tighten up smartly, uh, become secure, but never stifle innovation. Uh, the details of that, you know, it really depends on the industry you're in and the particular uh company. When it comes to artificial intelligence, would love everybody else's views, but uh, we're finding in most places, you use the word artificial intelligence if you're looking for money and budget, and because that is a great buzzword, but what you're really looking for is machine learning expertise. Math. How do you do math really well and software? That's machine learning, and that is doing some fantastic things in uh, narrow niches, uh, specific problem sets. So for me, um, AI generally equals machine learning, And when you get beyond that at a board level, uh, eyes kind of glaze over and people just say, I don't quite understand what's the impact, so you need to be ready to say, here's the use case for the machine learning. Cloud computing, I have one thought I'd love to leave you guys with a personal opinion. I think we've just waded into cloud computing. Most places only have a tiny amount of workload in cloud computing. Everybody's doing a little bit. Uh, Everybody's got at least a proof of concept. But I think over the next four or five years, we'll go from 5% of workloads in the cloud to... 80 percent of workloads in the cloud it's gonna be a massive uh, tsunami uh, towards cloud and cloud transitions in my opinion and then uh, also much more use of outsourced data centers and outsourced providers like that Um, just an opinion fantastic chris you have some thoughts about that yes hello
0: this is chris sertz with xgility and when we talk about cloud we obviously do this for a living and we have customers throughout commercial and enterprise Um, our primary focus is adopting the microsoft cloud and I'll say, from an adoption standpoint, and that at a high level, we're looking for in new ways to transform results and improve processes, uh, leveraging the cloud, and that's the benefit. And so I think that's a, the primary topic. Um, but then it gets tactical for us, and we recommend an approach. And I'll just give you three points: where we need the nail networking. So as you extend your data center, what's a secure way to extend? Uh, securely to the cloud and expose those workloads that were running on-premise to partially run in hybrid or primarily run to the cloud, but you need to get there first securely. Uh, second uh, is identity. And so permissions, who has access to resources. We spent a lot of time um, extending Azure Active Directory, um, extending their identity models in various different components based upon the organizational needs. And and third, they need to make sure that their home office, even at the desktop level, uh, is up to to spec with the, for us, it's Windows 10 and Office Pro Plus. And getting those three things, identity, access, and the the desktop ready for the cloud um, is tactfully how we approach it.
1: That's fantastic. So uh, Jonathan, we we were talking before we got started. And there were some things that Chris just brought up in terms of networking, identity, coming up to spec. Uh, What can CEOs and CIOs do to get ahead of this stuff? Instead of being reactive, being more proactive in their business.
3: This is Jonathan Rivers. Uh, I think with a lot of that, it's it's actually making sure they stay technical and they're aware of all of the offerings on the market. I think one of the uh, sort of sad states of IT these days is uh, sort of relying on contractors and vendors to actually hold the knowledge for your organization. And so many IT organizations sort of throughout the world have not become or have moved from being actual IT organizations to vendor management organizations, right? They're glorified PMOs. And so they lack the actual internal skill set or knowledge about how to secure their networks or why they should even secure their networks. And so making sure that they are building the subject matter expertise internally is going to be paramount because if you're always relying on calling your vendor for advice, you're, you're... you may get great advice, right? Because these vendors, they specialize in these things. That's why they have these companies. But what you don't know is why you need to make those decisions, and so you're you're just following instead of actually leading and finding a strategy that that makes sense for you.
1: I think that that makes a lot of sense. So, so as a follow-on question to that, how how do you start these discussions? I mean, if these discussions are so big and so broad, you need to start building knowledge level expertise in the organization, because it's not there today. And, and we, I think a lot of us do agree with the fact that a lot of the knowledge isn't there. And some of the talent pool isn't even here in the United States, for that matter. So where, where, do, where do board level executives start?
3: I think it, it really starts with the investment. Uh, you know, there's a joke in drag racing, which is how fast can you afford to go? And it applies in the corporate world as as well. You want to start your initiative. You've got to think how much you're going to, to fund these things. And uh, security and cybersecurity is a perfect example, right? How secure do you want to be? How much are you going to invest in that for a reasonable level of protection, right? Getting full protection, probably unlikely. Uh, And so you you start with, I think, a couple of key hires. One of the, the things that I recommend to folks is get a generalist. Get somebody who has had many jobs in IT and has touched things like data center, cloud, application support, help desk, who has a very, very broad experience, and use them to start building the group of specialists that you need for each area that you want to tackle. And then you tackle them one at a time. Where companies fail is they try and have a broad overarching strategy and tackle 10, 20 problems all at the same time instead of saying, number one, done, two, done, three, done. It's really about relentless prioritization and figuring out which ones are going to get the most production or value and starting there.
1: It's interesting. So if all of us were to, and thank you, if all of us were to take a vote here for a minute, how many of you would say that these topics that we've named here at the top of the discussion are topics that people are willing to bring up in board meetings right now? Are they being discussed? Yes. Yeah. yes. And are people willing to discuss them yeah. for the most part?
4: My name is Suresh Krishani. I'm the CEO for uh, Micro Automation. We do call center technology. So we work with a lot of companies where we're implementing technology into their call center. And it's a wide, varied, uh, varied industries that, that we're working with, uh, healthcare, care, uh, financial uh, reservations, uh, and even 911. And in every case, these customers are, are essentially holding on to private data of their, their customers. And there's a fear that they, this data will somehow get out and they will be held liable. So what I often see with a lot of our customers is that rather than trying to address the security issue, they're trying to pass it on. So if I can build upon some of the other comments that were made in terms of, of having somebody else deal with it rather than them deal with it, uh, a lot of them are looking at the legal aspects first and saying, how much? How, what, what will be my liability? And they're essentially saying, well, I want to push that liability onto my vendors and let my vendors actually take on that and kind of push the problem off rather than addressing it themselves. So we see that with a lot of state and local governments. We see that with a lot of uh, companies. A- and I think it, uh, that uh, this relates to uh, industries where they're not uh, heavily invested in technology. So uh, there, there's a, a fear out there, and especially in, in getting into the cloud. In the healthcare industry, for example, they're dealing with HIPAA. So they want to make sure that they... Hold on to that that private data, that health data, and that's one of the reluctant the reasons they're reluctant to get into the cloud. They want to hold on to that data. They want to maintain their own data centers. Now that is starting to change as they get a little bit more comfortable with the with the cloud, but there still is that fear, and and the fear is comes from a lack of understanding.
5: This is Loana Russell. Um, I'd like to really get into, when you talk about at the board level, because we have to remember that not every board is is for a technology company, right? So when you think of a board that's a nonprofit board or for, like, my board, which is a services company, not necessarily focusing in technology, you're not going to find that we're sitting around the table talking about these issues specifically because most board members don't have this level of information, right? We happen to be in a room where you guys are very... Um, uh, Knowledgeable of the technology and how it impacts the business. At the board level, we're trying to understand three things as it relates to maximizing stakeholder value and stakeholder wealth competitive advantage, protection, and then maximizing our performance through efficiency. So, how technology is going to complement our organization to accomplish those things is how the boards that I sit on typically view technology. And what's really interesting when I um, speak to others, there's such a movement right now to just get someone who is a technologist on your board. You know, every board is always structured with, I've got the accountant, I've got the lawyer, and I've got the this. But now what technologists do you get on your board? Because technology changes every 39 seconds. And so today I'm cybersecurity. Well, do I need to get a machine learning person on my board? Who do I need to get on my board now? Because it's changing. And that's what, what the boards that I sit on, that's what we've really discussed as it relates to cybersecurity and these other areas.
1: And not everyone agrees all the time, right?
5: They would never agree. <laughs> Agreement would be a wonderful, a wonderful thing. But again, a, maximizing stakeholder value, and that's the only focus at the end of the day. How am I going to use data to make a decision to maximize value? And if that data has to come from a system that's in a cloud or wherever, then we have our answer, right?
1: So I have a follow-on question to that just briefly, and then we'll come down to you at the end of the table. Is If not everyone can agree all the time, and if the technology people aren't necessarily there yet, Maybe they'll be there in a month, six months from now, maybe 12 months from now, because we just discussed a little bit about talent pool and the lack of talent pool here. If that's the case, what do people do in the meantime?
5: And what if there's a data breach? Yeah, this is Luana Russell. Again, that's actually a a question and a topic that I was discussing this morning, I was at another breakfast earlier this morning where we were talking about workforce development and, um, you know, looking at unemployment, but understanding that unemployment is just one factor because underemployment is the real issue, right? I might have 17 jobs to make the living that I need to make for a living wage. And so how are we getting the level of training that's out there? Because by the time we are developing a training course, technology has changed again. So when you're looking at AI, you're looking at machine learning, you're looking at even blockchain, someone is coming up with this. And by the time we get a population of individuals that understand this technology well enough to be able able to support an organization in their decision making, something else is coming in. Um, so I wish I could completely answer that question, but it was definitely something on the table for discussion this morning. That's very
1: interesting.
6: This is uh, Ramon Barkeen from uh, uh, Barkeen International. I just wanted to throw out uh, <clears throat> two things, maybe additive uh, to uh, what you were uh, uh, suggesting, Luana. Um First is that most of the things that the, the boards <laughs> discuss even boards that are for nonprofits or things that have nothing to do with technology are or should be construed in the context of either opportunity or risk, competitive advantage, protection. And that is, I think, a good way in which to introduce a lot of the issues that we're talking about vis a vis technology. In particular, also, if we can take advantage of uh, front page of the newspapers, uh, and, uh, front page of, of whatever, you know, the, uh, the, the evening news. Uh, when you have, you know, uh, a, a breach, you know, in, in Sony uh, or in the OPM, uh, it gets people's attention. People talk about it in the boardroom, even if it's not on the agenda. And now you can bring in and say, well, what are the implications for us? I think that becomes very, very uh, important as a tool to get boards really sensitized and talking about the kinds of things that that we believe are um, (coughs) the top of our hit parade in terms of technology.
7: My name is Jeff Bathurst. I'm with the SCNH Group. Uh, Regarding boards, one of the conversations uh, that we have with boards is around uh, cybersecurity and crisis management. Okay, in many cases, the conversation is around, okay, how do we prepare the organization for a crisis? Not if, but when. And we talk about legal representation, we talk about PR and communications, we talk about the technical response and helping them formulate a plan so that the organization is prepared for when that event occurs. I mean, there is a large gap across many organizations that we're seeing that just don't have these things in place, and it's imperative uh, that the preparation be done because you do not want to figure it out when it's going on the if and when and then we're going to get into the price and maybe you have some
1: some views on this if it if it's not if and it's when how do you start to build out reliable solutions i mean let's get into it here how, how do you get into this stuff not just discuss it
8: my name is al and i'm a chief okay. enterprise architect for oratech we are vendor and that's our job actually so Daily basis, we consult with the company, with the boards, to help bring it. I think one of the biggest problem is people look at the technology versus when you go to board, board cannot understand it. So the best way to do it is mostly look at the business capability that you want and align it with the technology and risk. Come with the different metrics that show the impact of your business first. That's the key part. So doesn't matter and talk about the AI or ML, I can talk about the predictive analysis. For board is not sufficient, is not enough to understand. But when we come and say how we can predict, how we can secure your data, how we can reduce the cost, and how we can improve the quality, that package from their vision, from their direction to the technology with the right metrics, that helps them to understand. So if if people don't understand,
1: just as a follow up to that. If people don't understand, we, we seem to be coming back to a common denominator.
8: You have to build, a case. You have to build so a If case. you're
1: building a business case, just like someone would go out and sell a cost-benefit analysis sale, okay? You're building a business case okay, for whatever it is you're trying to sell. Let's just put it in that context for a moment, right? So if you build a case, a business case for this, what is the business case that you're
8: building? So it's back to the size of organization, and I don't want to go as specific because we are vendor, we work with a lot with the federal, especially. Yeah. But in general, if if you think about it, is the cost of the breach, cost of the lo- losing the data, cost of the acquisition of the talent, all of those is stuff we discuss. So a lot of time in the metrics, people just look at the TCO and ROI. But in reality, you have to look at the cash flow ROI for the board members. So you come and say, these trees have a negative cash flow impact plus reputation of the company, trust of the employee, re- customers. So when you look at the cash flow ROI, then it's huge different. That's something board easily can understand. They can understand it. if they don't invest here, what will happen? Plus, it should be a path because normally they don't have budget, right? Budget is always short. So even I want to do it, I don't know how to do it. Even I give a roadmap to them, you don't have a budget. So you have to create a, that workflow toward cost reduction. So that's cost reduction through automation, perhaps, can release the budget for those implementations. So it's a cir- uh, circular impact toward the modernization. Mm-hmm. That's why we call it disruptive technology. Means this technology, if you don't apply it next to three five years, your business disappears. We all know that. So how we can reduce that as a whole ecosystem of the disruptive technology to moving from a dinosaur digital to a master digital. All right, thank you. Chris, thoughts?
9: Hi, this is uh, Bryson Bort, CEO of Scythe. Uh, We just recently launched a automated red team platform called Crossbow, so I guess I'm the token hacker here. Um, And so I I guess that's why you threw the if, uh, if not if, but when. uh, And I think that's a very important starting point is uh, there is nothing that is unhackable. There is no scenario that you cannot present that I cannot come up with a way to hack it, to access it. Um, But it's worth starting with what do boards understand and what our business is. Modern business today is no longer indistinguishable from technology. You cannot have a business without technology. And as a result of that, security is no longer just a cost, but now an absolute necessity for mission assurance. If I can't guarantee confidentiality, integrity, and availability, then I don't have a business. And so that not if but when ties to the fact that, all right, boards, as Suresh noted, are primarily right now either motivated by fear or the ostrich approach because I'm either scared and what do I do next or it's not going to happen to me. The biggest change that I feel like I've seen in the landscape that started in 2017 is the shift from I'm a bad guy and I'm coming after you to the fact that we're now seeing collateral damage. We're seeing weaponized activity that moves out there and hits you by accident because there's overlap. There's so much interconnection and there's so much commonality between systems. And so if I'm a board and, um, I'm sorry, Miss Russell, uh, she mentioned earlier about having a technologist on the board. The challenge with having a technologist on the board is not that I have this person who speaks tech, but that's somebody that's technical that can speak business because that's the missing gap. We have too many nerds who talk nerd and not enough nerds who talk business. So why is tech repeatedly surprised that nobody on the board takes them seriously when they're not able to put it in the appropriate terms to match that competitive advantage that the board is trying to seek?
1: So if people glaze over, you know, because we don't have people talking the right language, which I have a great appreciation for, let's define it for a minute. What what would at least three of you here at this table Define cybersecurity as? Put it in terms that I can understand for a minute.
9: This is Bryson Board speaking. So how I would define cybersecurity is is two pieces. One, people. Your largest surface area in any organization is people, not the technology. Turns out people are the ones behind the keyboards. They're the ones that are actually using the technology. And then the second part is that assurance of being able to execute a business i cannot tell you how many assessments that i've had where a company says all right the scope is hack us all right well that's that's not a valid scope it's not a point of just can i demonstrate some technical wizardry where it's like look how i came in and i did lateral movement here and you had no idea that i could do that with a printer that's not what matters do i understand the business and the real point of cybersecurity is where can i violate your business rules Violating the business rules is that edge condition of what matters versus just, okay, that's a vulnerability.
1: A.J., how would you define cybersecurity?
10: A.J. Chagori with Celebrity. I'm not, uh, I'm not a cybersecurity expert, so uh, that's But that's a good the, thing. It, you right. Know, so what would uh, you say? I, 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 I'd like to actually address your earlier question because I think uh, that would be more feasible. Uh, the board is not often controlled by just shareholders. It depends on the sort of pedigree of your company. So uh, my company is based out of San Francisco. Um, I've been in Silicon Valley since I was 17 years old. Most of our board is influenced by our uh, VCs. So we're venture backed right now. And the goal for us is to innovate, grow the company to unicorn status within 36 months. And the pressure is typically tremendous versus companies here. I think that the difference between these two coasts is uh, I spend time here and um, I one of the initiatives I started working on nine years ago, we talked about AI, uh, Elon Musk uh, funded one of my initiatives, which today is called Open AI. So th- the difference in spending time in this coast versus boards in the West Coast, it's a difference in night and day. Um, AI for us is so 2016. Uh, our focus right now is more on things that can help uh, yield not only uh, our path to becoming uh, tremendously valuable, uh, but also uh, the the amount of risk that we take uh, also has an influence on our board. And the the structure of, of our boards are different. We typically have engineers that actually sit on our board. In fact, we have there's a model, there's a reverse model where we actually have sometimes interns that sit that have an active position on boards so it's not typically your shareholders uh who are there just to talk about value uh, in terms of monetary value for the company but there is a we inject elements of different types of uh, tech uh, operations business uh, into the board and that um, helps us uh, tremendously uh, but ultimately our boards are controlled uh, from both a preference and participation perspective. Uh, it's controlled by the uh, VCs.
1: So, if companies are being driven, VC-backed companies are being driven to do, you know, three, four, five x money in 36 months, as an example. So they're going really, really, really fast, and they're ignoring a lot of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're getting blasted on the TV sure. about. This company had a data breach here. This company, we found out they weren't PCI compliant here, and credit cards went by the wayside, and oh, by the way, 50 million people lost their Social Security numbers. So what's, A.J., what's the answer at that point then? If we're being driven by speed of VCs to say go, 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 but we ignore some of this stuff, what do you do then?
10: So, uh, A.J. Jagori, there's uh, there's a mentality of uh, moving fast and breaking things. That's... Been the Silicon Valley theme for a very long time. Um, I agree that there are going to be consequences, uh, but the the environment uh, for us is set up in a way where uh, we unfortunately don't have either the bandwidth uh, and sometimes we don't have uh, the expertise to build uh, and. Uh, sort of a security model or a, uh, a proactive model that responds to data breaches. We have to rely on others, and a lot of that comes through third parties. Um, there is a risk, but at the same time, you innovate or die, right? So our, our uh, runway typically is fairly short, um, and 90 percent of startups typically fail within the first 12 to 14 months. So if you're going to reach to a $100 million valuation within 36 months, you can't afford to spend 12 months on PCI compliance, and that's the nature of the beast, Um, and again, the difference in mentality between the two coasts.
11: This is Fran Craig. I'm CEO and founder of Uninet, and I think and I believe that um, boards are going to be driven a lot by their CEOs and their founders. And if they don't, then they're not managing well. But they're the ones that bring to the board the fact that they may need an assessment, you know, for BYOD, for AI, for data centers, for moving to the cloud, for actually acquiring a new software service, let's say, because most new companies now and companies are going for services in the cloud. And when they're doing that, they're asking the board and telling the board what they're doing as far as uh, cybersecurity, et cetera. So with our customers, because we are a technology company, we are very concerned because many of them are government contractors, and they have a number of um, rules and regulations like SOC 1, SOC 2, NIST you know, 171. They have to have all these things performing in the cloud otherwise they won't do anything with you they have to have you know um, encrypted data at rest which is something that you know the government came out with and now all of our customers are asking for that and so obviously we have that what i'm saying is that it's a board conversation but it needs to be driven by the ceo the cfo the coo anybody that's on that board as well as the customers that are driving The people in that company to do the security that they need. The other thing that we do, too, and I'm sure that most technology companies do this, except maybe not on the West Coast, um, is, (laughs) you know, we're always out there, not just for these rules and regulations, but we're always out looking at the threat sites, you know, what's the latest threat, you know, putting the patches in on our software, and, you know, from time to time, we hire another security company just to come in and assess what we do to make sure that we have something. And, and that's always a board-level discussion for us, not necessarily
1: for our customers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I appreciate, A.J., what you were saying about you know, costs of PCI compliance as an example. Uh, and we can spend a lot of time on this, but, Fran, if, if this has got to be driven by senior management CEOs in the business. If the CEOs aren't knowledgeable about this stuff, In in terms of cybersecurity, cybercrime, I mean, you have to have your head in the sand unless you don't know about all of these threats that are out there and happening and taking place. I mean, we're just living through Mark Zuckerberg being up on the hill, and they didn't even lose any social security numbers, date of birth, or anything else. But at that point, what if the CEOs really don't understand that?
11: then they have to find somebody. They have they really do need to go out and find somebody. And by the way, I thought it was really curious when Zuckerberg was up there. Many of the people that were questioning him on the hill really didn't understand what Facebook is all about. I mean, so you're going to get that same kind of thing in a boardroom. So anyway, the CEO, the people that are running the company really need to make sure that they can go out and find people, whether it's a consultant or they hire somebody. And I understand that they're very rare, but, but you have to find these people. And they, I'll tell you, technology people are very concerned about this.
1: They really are. So, so Jonathan, does everyone need to go out and hire Accenture? Because that's that's pretty expensive. So
3: this is Jonathan Rivers. Uh, no, I think, the you know, to, to Fran's point... Every executive team needs to have a CTO or a CIO on it, right? These In this day and age, you, you cannot have a knowledgeable technologist not be a member of your executive team, right? One of the reasons I actually have my job is because my CEO wanted to make sure that there was a technical voice at the senior level. And many organizations, you see that stop. You have a, a director of IT or a VP of engineering reporting to a CFO, And they're treating it like a cost center and not an investment or a business enabler. And until you actually have that good representation on the executive suite, you're going to be throwing your money at Accenture and Deloitte. And again, to my original point, not actually knowing why you're making those decisions, they're just handing you a a, a nice PowerPoint presentation telling you where to spend your money on
1: my friend, Paul Doherty, who's the CTO of uh, Accenture, is just patting me on the back right now.
11: <laughs> uh, this so
1: uh, is... I'll, uh, I'll leave that for a different time. I just have one
11: more addition here, and that is that we've just hired some people right out of college, and you would be amazed at the security programs they've already had. Uh, we're, I really see a lot more of the education of you know people in college right now with cybersecurity.
7: Yeah, this is Jeff Bathurst uh, with SCNH Group. Um, I have the pleasure of sitting on a couple of university boards and we have that discussion around how do we generate as an institution marketable technology professionals. And we're not talking about just subject matter, but how quickly can we get them to market? Because as we've experienced, getting a a university or college to change its program is a long journey. Uh, And unfortunately, the technology industry does not wait that long until the technology changes. So one of the things that we've been discussing is around the concept of apprenticeships, okay, and the idea of shortening that, I'm not trying to minimize the university experience, but businesses need professionals to get to market much, much faster, and a traditional four-year education program doesn't do that because four years in our technology industry is a lifetime. So what we are talking to organizations about is the idea of sponsoring apprenticeship programs. So, where, for example, if they're in school for six months, and then they're on work for six months, and they do that through a two-year rotation, they've invested ten thousand dollars in an individual, but as a result, they've already got them trained up for a year, and they've got a year of relevant experience in the discipline that you want to, in which you want to hire them. That is something that's starting to resonate because companies are desperate for the resources, whether at the senior technology level or even at the entry-level position. The, criti- the, 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 the criticality of this work shortage is, is something that we're all facing.
1: Okay. So, Luana, let me ask you a question. In the beginning of this discussion, one of the things I mentioned was employee training. And the reason why I mentioned it is because there's a large contingent in the technology field today that is saying that AI is here, AGI is coming, the world is changing, uh, the cyber threats are going to continue. If we define perimeters within cyber crime, they continue to change. I mean, everything is changing so fast, like Jeff is saying. Then doesn't it make sense what he's saying, that training employees need to be where this is really at?
5: This is Lawana Russell with uh, Business Management Associates again. And I. Uh, it's critical. It's critical. And though that's why I look at programs like the Year Up program, the specific apprentice program where you get your six months of training and then those individuals are let out into the field to work with the, uh, an internship with organizations who are directly in their space. And these are folks who are... 17 to 24 or something like that so that's when you get them right so they're getting some level of training they're getting the professional training they're getting the acclimation to being out in the workforce they're young and they're hungry of course and then they're going into an internship with an organization that might be on the cutting edge in terms of technology that can show them the what's really out there and what they're doing in AI or what they're doing in anything and then if all goes well That organization will then hire that intern at the end. And so this becomes, for these organizations, um, almost a a recruitment track. You know, instead of going out and, you know, typical recruitment, think about it, I'm going out and I'm finding someone who has told me that they can do these things well. Now I'm bringing in some young talent who's fresh, who's hungry, who has just learned this great new skill, I'm applying my organization, my culture, the things that I need them to learn about me, at the end of that six months, that kid's got a job and that kid knows exactly where he can be and he knows where he can take his life in terms of a technology trajectory. Chris, please.
0: Hi, this is Chris Ertz again with XGILITY. Luana, I'm familiar with the Year Up program and I've seen its success in bringing new, new talent into the organization. But in many of our customers, there's existing or perhaps even older talent still in the organization. So there's a new role that we've put together called the customer success manager. And that role actually is designed to be part of the training curriculum to make sure that as they're adopting a new technology, um, that we are aligning it to the business requirements, not only just the, the how-to training, but following up as they're using it and focusing more on the adoption governance and overall usage of the of the program. And that aligns really well to the business goals. And so we have to constantly remind them that your organization has chosen this path and here's the here's the end result you're all gearing towards. So it's important to have someone in a leadership position, not just in a reactive position, but in a leadership position that would have that executive availability for the overall project success.
1: And I've seen that happen, you know, Chris, at a, at a lot of different companies. Uh, I've seen it happen at, soft, at companies as large as SoftBank in, in different, uh, segments of their businesses in terms of customer success managers and trying to get them to integrate these technologies that they're building or delivering to the market. Uh, And getting on the phone with people and talking to them about what is your application, what are your objectives, what are you trying to achieve, how can I help you do that inside of the constraints of what the technology is. And that's more or less what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
4: Uh, this is Rayshkar Sahani. I, I wanted to kind of get back, Terrence, to your original question about the cybersecurity and what can a boardroom do. Um, we kind of identified three different things that you could do to kind of really start tackling the concept of cyber, cybersecurity. Uh, the first thing that we we decided that we needed to do was create a security plan. We needed to know what we were going to do in case something happened, you know, what was the – and have it, have it documented so everybody knew. Uh, The second thing, and it goes back to a point that Bryson made, Uh, I'm a computer programmer at heart, so I I grew up as a computer programmer, and I quickly learned that there's nothing that's really protected. Everything is vulnerable, um, specifically as it relates to data. So one of the things that really needs to be done is to establish some sort of uh, technology, firewalls, policies, and such to deter people from accessing your data. You're never going to be able to absolutely protect it, but you can certainly deter people from getting to your data. So that's obviously the next step. But given that fact that your data is not completely protected, organizations need to know that they need to be able to, they have to be able to recover if they do have a data loss. If it's a ransomware type thing or, it's something where their data has been completely deleted or purged. They have to be able to recover. So uh, a, a strong backup plan, I think, is very important for any type of organization to make sure that their data is backed up and of, uh, can be e- immediately restored so they can continue operations. So those are kind of the three things that I believe that we need to do from a cybersecurity perspective.
1: And, and I think a lot of us you know, now here at this table agree with that. And if the magic word is, you've got to, or magic phrase is, you've got to have a plan, what happened to the plan of all these major corporations? Because now all of a sudden, uh, a couple days later after uh, the, Facebook, the Facebook announcement, which took place, the, the actual breach if you want to call it that, you know, it took place a, you know, a while ago, uh, all of a sudden popping up on Facebook is this notice that says something about my data for the very first time, very reactive. The same thing happens on Apple TV. All of a sudden, this stuff comes up. The same thing happens when I buy an iPad because my other one cracked in half and I now need a new one. And all of a sudden, I just set it up with my iPhone and here comes this big screen about data it wasn't there a month ago well uh, terence
4: i mean the, the the reality is security plans are not just built and you put it on a shelf and you and you just leave it there for when the event occurs they have to be constantly updated and constantly evolved to support to to address all the different types of uh, data breaches and technology growth that's going on so the security plan is a working document it has to constantly be addressed
1: so it's living and breathing
4: it's yes
9: Uh, Bryson Board Scythe. Uh, so I'm a former Army officer, and we like to say no plan survives first contact. Turns out a plan is only a piece of paper unless you test it, and you'd be surprised how much. And this is why we encourage uh, scenario walkthroughs and tabletop exercises with board because that's something where they can actually be walked through a business understanding and then having to realize, oh wait a second, we didn't think of that. We didn't account for that. Turns out that group wasn't even informed that this was a part of the plan. You'd be surprised what comes out in doing that. Um, uh, Fran mentioned uh, patch management earlier. Uh, Patch management, uh, tying to what Suresh said about uh, building cybersecurity for deterrence, I like to think of that as that's the equivalent of building a fence. And what you're trying to do is kind of build this fence of a certain average of security across multiple dimensions. And as a hacker, hackers are lazy. We will go through the lowest rung or We'll go through the back door around the fence, no matter what you do with the fence. Um, And so really it's not, the fence helps keep you out, but as uh, Suresh noted about the importance of recovery, the other key there is that's really just an attacker gaining access. And I'm not gaining access for no reason. I'm gaining access to do something. And the payload that I put down next is how I'm accomplishing my objective. That objective then can be detected, so this is a focus on detect and response, and then if I'm able to accomplish something, as Suresh noted, the importance of recovery. Luana and Chris on training, we emphasized, the way I would would summarize that is that while universities are producing better programs and apprenticeships are producing better opportunities, the emphasis and the responsibility is still on the companies for on-the-job training. We're not looking for universities to produce folks that are immediately certified and qualified they're training them to be aware and to think so that they can grow. And it's the company's responsibility to take that even further. And then the final piece, and I'm not going to be picking on A.J., I'm actually going to be supporting you because <laughs> you, are, you are the easiest target here with the West Coast mentality of, like, get it out there. But here's the deal. If you look at products throughout lifecycle, function first, security second. Why is that? Customers buy based on function. So the customer market is driving that behavior. The customer is saying, this is what I want. We, For example, in the automotive industry, who's going to buy one car over another because one is more cyber secure? Is there even a way to determine that? There isn't, right? You're selling it based on emotion, or you're selling it based on function. But what you can do, independent of the fact that, all right, so security is a secondary objective to getting this, and security at release is just a snapshot in time, I can plan for a security lifecycle, and that's the ability that I don't. What I don't know today, I can still adapt and improve in the future when something is in operation.
8: Is Alparva just quickly? What we discuss here is kind of the known in industry because it's SecOps, means because the security and operation normally are separate from each other. So the whole concept starts from three years ago, four years ago, DevOps or DevSecOps. Bring the all them together because normally, as you mentioned, security is in the first or at the end. Operation is always at the end, so that's create the gap. When you evolve them together to work together in a smaller team, have a look at that function in your business. That's how you can pretend, pretend the risk and the other area. So the whole system of culture of the organization. I don't say at all. A lot of organizations hierarchy, but the key part is for each function, could be business, could be technology. let's say capability. You need a dev or sec ops group. Work independently, watch it, and move the information flow back to the boardroom, back to the CIO. The main problem is a lot of time people disconnected. Those information not coming through the knowledge management system to upper management, so they don't know what's going on. They close their eyes hierarchy of the business always report all the good news, not the bad one to hide it. But you if you enable your customer or bottom layer employees and move that information, those build the use cases and that feedback your SEC ops to operate it. In ITL we call it SIAM, right? Service integrated model. So you can be a service gardener or you can be a multi supplier. Nothing wrong about that. But you have to enable that through hierarchy of the ladder of the information for analysis so bob i have
1: a question for you and
8: it it, dovetailing off of what Aljos was
1: talking about and something that i experienced uh, last week for the first time which was a little bit shocking is that i was in a high level board meeting and there was a breach in this particular company and they blamed it on the customers (laughs) Uh, And it was the customer's problem, and before this conference got started, we talked about the process of self-selection, and if it's my choice as a customer to go ahead and share my information, and I'm sharing it on a platform where I understand and I know that this is something that I'm doing voluntarily, and I understand what the privacy policies say, then where does that fall into the level of responsibility of senior management of these companies when they turn around and Sheryl Sandberg says, well, if you want to keep your data private, then
2: you're going to pay us. But otherwise it's your problem, is basically what she's saying, right? I think it's a great question, and it flows exactly from your earlier question about how do we define cybersecurity. Um, Was what happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica a cybersecurity problem? Or did everything function exactly as it was supposed to and was planned to, except for someone violated a contract? So um, it gets down to, I mean, what is the definition of cybersecurity? And maybe that's changed over time, but in a lot of cases, digital risks are not cybersecurity problems. So, we need to elevate the discussion, um, and there's a good thing about that. Get more people, uh, more of the executives understanding that they play a role in mitigating digital risk. Even if they're not the cybersecurity officer, uh, the CISO or the CIO, they have a role to mitigate digital risk. And I'd also like to say that this is not a new lesson. Um, I got into cybersecurity really late, uh, 1998. I was with the Department of Defense. I was an intelligence officer and was told about this. Uh, um, attack against the DOD called Moonlight Maze. Um, And my response was like a lot of other people, I'm glad somebody else is worried about that cybersecurity stuff. Um, Next thing you know, I'm told to help fix it. Um, And that was my baptism by fire and uh, ever since then, I've done all sorts of assessments on government and commercial organizations, and we still wrestle with these same exact problems of people not understanding their role in mitigating digital risk and cybersecurity. Which gets to another point, uh, which um, I would love your everybody else's opinion on this too. But um, after doing hundreds of assessments on organizations. Uh, where you would assess, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, you do interviews, you do the technology assessments. I finally come up to one factor that you can assess right away and understand if that organization has any hope of being secure. And that is, does the CEO care? If the CEO doesn't care at all, they have just about no hope. you got to change that guy's opinion, make sure he understands that he has a role to play in mitigating digital risk. You don't just delegate it to your CISO. If the CEO does care... Um, everything else can still fall into place. It still takes a lot of hard work. But if that guy cares, you get the updated policy, uh, you test the policy, you bring in the hackers, and you test your security um, if that guy cares. Um, And if not, um, it's all hope is lost. So that's my view on that. So, Luana, if it's it's truly self-selection
1: at some point at the customer level, so if I'm in Lowe's store, and I'm looking at a power saw. And behind me is a robot going by watching what I'm doing. And two days later, I get a notification on my phone that I can have that power saw for 10% less than what I saw that day right there on the floor. And I'm thinking, how did it know? Oh yeah, there was a robot behind me. So did I self-select at that point? I kind of didn't self-select, but whose problem is it if the robot gets ha- gets hacked?
5: So if you walked into Lowe's and they had something in the front saying that we're going to have robots, then you self-select it. If they did not notify you before the robot started following you, then you did not. So that depends. Um, but I love what you were saying in terms of, uh, Bob was saying in terms of the, the CEO caring, because when, I don't think at the board level and at the CEO level, I think it would be awesome if they thought of disaster recovery, and I'm using that as a broad term to encompass everything. If you think of disaster recovery as IP, right? You think of it as your—it's part of your intellectual property for your company. And if you're a CEO, your IP is what you sell. It's your succession plan. It's your exit. Then it becomes a value, and then every CEO is going to think of it. But I don't think that most of us are raised as CEOs to think of it that way if that's not our business. So that would be, that would be the next educational um, outlet that we should have <laughs> in starting that understanding.
1: Sure.
9: This is Bryson Bort. Uh, so Facebook situation is, of course, the IT issue of the day. And that ties into two pieces, right? Data and privacy. And I think something that all companies can take away from that is, of course, a value component of how do you treat your customers? Because, yes, there is a super long end user license agreement or terms of service. Has anybody ever read one? Nobody ever reads one, right? That's the joke. Well, okay, three hands around the table. Technology. (laughs) You're weird. (laughs) Nobody reads them. But does it have to be that way? What if we created a very simplistic overview to some kind of maybe industry template where it says, this is how I'm using your data, this is why I'm using it, and this is how I'm protecting it. Very simple, it's almost like the nutritional data label that's on a can of beans. Why can't we do the same thing for a can of data?
1: So we're gonna to start to bring this to a close and wrap it up. One thing that I didn't hear at this table today, which was interesting, is the word blockchain. I was gonna say that. And, uh, that that and, and yeah, did you say it already? I did. Oh, I, I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Fran, did you say it too? No, I didn't, but I heard it. Okay, I'm so sorry. But, Is blockchain a solution for some of this stuff? A little. A
6: little? You know, we talk about training, important training employees, but we really didn't focus on the need to educate the board. And that becomes, because to a large degree, I think we know, as Suresh said, hey, these are the three things that we need. You can go to the, uh, the CIS critical controls, the Australian have the essential eight. They vouch that 85% of all vulnerabilities. If you, but why aren't we doing it? To a large degree, is because members of the board don't have that immediate understanding. If, for example, you're dealing with your workforce, you're ready to invest in a stop smoking program. You're ready to invest in a better diet. You know, hey, exercise. We'll pay for you to go to the gym. These would be the equivalent. You know patch management, uh, whitelisting, uh, limiting administrative, these would be very, very simple things to do that if the board were educated, you could really, really put a significant debt on the kinds of things that we need to do to at least to start making progress on the cyber problem.
1: And I think that's an interesting point and a good one to wrap up on. Uh, I think that uh, from an education standpoint, uh, that's what is also a common denominator that I'm hearing here this morning now this afternoon and i think that uh it's interesting as this stuff starts to impact us that maybe there's a denial that a toaster is actually going to talk to me and that a washing machine is actually going to tell me that it has to turn on and at some point all of that stuff lives uh in the cloud and that maybe that's why banks don't really want to look at blockchain yet because they don't quite understand what's happening with it. Maybe it's a solution to Bob's point, maybe it's not. But I think that uh, these are all really interesting discussions. I thank everyone for their time this morning. I thought that the feedback was excellent. I learned a lot just by doing this. So thank you for your feedback. And uh, AJ, especially you. Uh, I learned a lot about what's going on on the West Coast. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, and I appreciate it. But thank you, and thank you to everybody.